This is Niffin. I'm Moravian. And this is the Old News with Cool Dudes podcast. Thank you for joining us again for, I guess now, technically week three, Moravian. Week three, but day 43 of quarantine. It's uh, It's been a time, for sure. What's, uh, Moravian, what's the, the funnest thing you've done during quarantine? The funnest thing? Yeah, the funnest thing. <laughs> <laughs> School appropriate, please. <laughs> Dude, none of this is fun. <laughs> I mean, like, I've restarted a, a dynasty on uh, NCAA football 2014, and so it came out in 2013, so all you kids listening to it, well, seven years ago, so you were like seven or eight when this game came out, but it's the last one that came out, so... I've I've been into that recently and trash talking and it's, that's real fun. But I mean, it's not a lot of things that are fun. It's just like me being a freaking adult and I'm painting a lot of things and and my fiance's sanding down cabinets and we're repainting the entire living room. And I've gotten even to the point where I I sleep like and it's like a special like broom slash mop. It's real fuzzy that picks up dog hair, and like I do that, then I like freaking uh i vacuum i <laughs> i vacuum like the wood floor and then i like mop the wooden floor and then i run the roomba over it like it's that sort of clean that i'm operating off of in my house and like the most satisfying thing i've seen so far is we planted grass and now it's growing so i like look at it hey a lot. same it's uh I feel very proud. I'm like a, a proud dad that my grass is growing. Although, yeah. I got to tell you, and on one of the, so I'm doing Zoom calls with my students uh, each Same. day. I'm doing a different hour and I'm doing two Zoom calls a day, a morning and an afternoon. Oh, that sounds terrible. And so my morning Zoom calls, I always <sighs> go and sit out on, uh, on the, the deck porch. in the backyard yeah. because it's so nice out. Yeah. And so over the winter, my dogs try to dig to freaking China. And they dug this massive hole. Not Wuhan, hopefully. Uh, I hope not. Maybe, <laughs> maybe that's how it got here. I don't know. And so a couple weeks ago, I went and bought some bags of dirt. And I filled the hole. And then I put some grass seed down. And like the grass seed is now starting to grow. And I'm super excited about it. Well, the other morning, uh, this past week, I went out. And I uh, was sitting on the porch. And I looked over. Half the holes dug back up. <laughs> and I looked at both of the dog's it's paws amazing. and their toenails are covered in dirt. Oh my god, yeah. I was so angry. Yeah. We well we S chopped this we chopped this tree down in the house, like that it killed the squirrel. It took its head off. And uh 
And so like now all the grass, like now the entire front yard can get sunlight in the entire front yard. And it's like, okay, this is like science. And I don't even know if I'm, I'm right, but like having a massive tree in the front yard, first of all, when it rains, that tree soaks up all the water yep. and goes to all the branches and stuff like now. But now it's just like a stump before we get that removed, uh, not too long in the future, but like now it's using way less water. So the front yard can a get more water, but also get way more sunlight. And, um, so that like, grass gonna grow. It's, it's growing already. It's, it's pretty, pretty great. And so like we're watering it twice a day in the morning and at night. Cause, um, you're actually supposed to water at night to be more successful. So the tree isn't fully gone. There's still a stump. So it's kind of like uh, it just got amputated. Yeah. And like actually like because they said the tree, like one of the branches was rotting from the inside that it like during a, ba a bad hailstorm, this branch that was like over our living room or over our porch would have been the first to go. And it was a pretty big branch. And uh, so we actually, you know, it's chopped down now and there's a stump right for right now and you can actually see even in the stump it was rotting away and i like i took a like a rake and i took it and i was like just bashing the crap out of it because there's a massive hole in the in the middle of the stump of this tree that it was rotting from the inside yeah my backyard tree was the same way well you talked about the tree uh decapitating the squirrel I yeah. think in this episode of Old News with Cool Dudes, we will be doing some uh, some talk of decapitation as we are going to discuss the French Revolution. That's a, as far as that's revolutions go. Yeah, yeah, as far as French as far as revolutions go, the French one's a good one. Um, many, many heads get chopped off. Uh, so but yeah, Marabian, as you mentioned just now, the French Revolution, a massive topic. Um Will you kind of just talk a little bit for just a moment about your experience learning about the French Revolution and the timetable of learning about the French Revolution? Well, I first learned about the French Revolution when I was in college, and it was in a class called Modern Europe, where you learn about a lot of different topics um, in Europe, of course, and it was from Dr. Plax. You had Dr. Plax, right? Yeah, I took P Dr. Plax for uh, History of Russia, Russia the yeah. first half. And Dr. Plax is this big Navy dude with, like, he's real buff, and he ha wears, like, turtlenecks and stuff to cover up his tattoos. He's bald, too. Um, but like, I Have you ever seen a picture of Plax with hair? Yeah, and on a motorcycle. Looks like Yeah, he showed us that picture, too. <clears throat> but um, I first learned about the French Revolution in that class, and... Um, and uh, we went over the French Revolution for like three weeks. And then I was like, I really like this topic. This is a fun topic to cover. I mean, it's pretty neat. And then I, uh, after that, I was like, hey, I really want to take this professor again. I really want to learn about this topic too and more in depth. So there was a class called F French <laughs> the French Revolution. So I learned about this class for an entire semester. And I believe it was... I'm pretty certain it was in the fall because I took modern Europe in the spring before. So I learned about French Revolution from August till, I guess, the beginning of December. And that's all we talked about. So, and the French Revolution, really, it's like 10 years <laughs> stuff. It's within 10 years. So the scope is like super, super small. Uh, so yeah, we spent about, what, 8 to 12. So about... 
about four months on a topic that was that was 10 years and in our normal history classes we can cover the enlightenment or the industrial revolution which is like roughly 200 years in about two days so exactly yeah so ridiculous I mean, whenever I teach the French Revolution in class, I spend about a week. Yeah, and take about three, you, four ju- days. you just mentioned you you did a, a full semester over it, you know, and and uh, college classes are different than high school classes, and there's a lot of stuff outside of class you have to do a lot yeah, and of it reading. Was, and it wasn't like it wasn't like we did activities in class. It was Doctor Plax. We'd go there three lecture. times a, three times a week uh, for fifty minutes. And he'd bring his massive notepad, and he would straight read his notes to us. And he would explain, he would, like he would read his notes, and then he would explain in between reading his notes what that means and like why that's significant. And he would like write his agenda on the board as far as like how far he wanted to get, and we would never get that far. And yep. it's just like it's there's there's no activities, there's no us reading primary sources in class. It was just all, hey, keep up, write notes, and outside of class, read some other stuff. Yeah, and before we move on with the French Revolution, quick story about Dr. Plax's classes. Um, this is how Dr. Plax's tests worked. So each test would basically be you had what he called IDs and then essays. You do four IDs, two essays. Now, an ID was he would give you a term, um, uh, uh, a person, uh, a location, an event, yeah. and an ID is who, what, when, where, why significance. You write like a paragraph or two, um, basically identifying that thing. So you get like if, five points. Yeah, if the ID was um, uh, talking about French Revolution, if it is tennis court oath, you have to tell who, what, when, where, why, and the significance. And then the essay, obviously, he gives you an essay prompt. And you have to write a full-fledged essay. Didn't we have to um, write? Didn't we get like three essays? And we had to write two or something like that. Uh, yeah, yeah. He would give you three essays and uh, topics, and you had to write on two of them. But the study guide he gave you exactly one week before test day. The study guide would have like thirty to thirty-five ID topics, yeah, and ten <laughs> essay prompts. <laughs> oh, I and then about from that. that, yeah, from that study guide, <laughs> from those thirty-five ID topics he, he would like choose three. four three or four. four okay yeah and then from the 10 essays he would choose two or three yeah so you had to like dude studying for that guy's tests were impossible and then i really nobody, liked it though yeah nobody could get a hundred percent on his test the only way you could get a hundred on one of his tests is if you have a phd in the subject if you knew as much as he did uh so ids were worth five points if you did really 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 well in id you would get like 4.5 out of five one time I got one time I got a couple of fives and I felt really really like really really special. I get like an, I got a couple ninety eights on his test just because that class was the class that taught me how to study. Uh, so yeah, I became like sure. a, I became really good at studying after that. Like if you knew your terms, if you knew the key concepts, like it's so like thirty five, then you were pretty good on the essay. So I would make flashcards and I would rewrite my notes and stuff like that. And so. I made I got a I got some fives on some IDs and I remember I got an A in Modern Europe and then when I got to French Rev, you know, um my the first test we took, I got like a ninety one. And he came up to me after class and gave me my paper. He's like, I know you can do better than that. And I was like, I got an A. Like, <laughs> leave me alone. 
But he yeah, was also was... really cool, though. Like, if you disagreed with how he graded something, you could yeah, go he... talk to him and like defend your position. Yeah, which he's was kind of cool. He's one of I remember that would hear you out. Yeah the the first test I took with him, whenever he passed them back out, he said, "All right, this is how you decipher how I graded your test." He said, "If I check marked something, that means it's pretty good. If I underline a sentence, that's really good. If I double underline it." That means it's really, really good. If I put a question mark, it means I don't know what you're talking about. And then some kid in the back of the class, some guy rose his hand and said, what does it mean if you wrote WTF? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty funny. Uh, Platz is a good dude, man. He doesn't he doesn't teach anymore. Yeah, He's he retired now. Um, but really, really solid dude. Uh, enjoy his class. Like I said, I took him for... Uh, Russian history. Yeah, you you took and him then, for the advanced Russian course, and I took him for the advanced French course. Yeah, and then I also took him for uh, modern Europe. But yeah, during same. modern Europe, sorry, last tangent of this podcast, I promise. During modern Europe, Plax had to have surgery on his back, oh, and so yeah. he had he had a former professor come in, and uh, I got lucky. Basically, I never act as with that. yeah, act act as uh, as a substitute, which is not the case in college. Like in college, if a professor's sick, you just don't go to class that day. So he said, hey, this guy's going to come in. He's going to teach this class while I'm gone. When I get back, I'm going to test you over everything he taught you. And this is like a freshman level course. And so we had like 35 people in the class. By like week two of plaques being gone, like 10 people were showing up. Uh, and I was a, I think I was a junior at this time. I, it was just a class I just ha- hadn't ever taken and so I was still in class every day taking notes. And I was like, huh, all these idiot freshmen are going to fail this class because they didn't show up and Plax is going to give us this big test. And then Plax got back and said, yeah, I'm not going to test you. Instead, I'm just going to reteach everything that he taught because none of you were here. I was so angry. I was like, dude, I've been responsible in showing up to class and now you're going to give all these freshmen a pass? Oh, I was mad. I was so mad. Freshman tears, you were hoping for it and didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. Makes me angry. All right, so French Revolution. Moravian, let's, I guess, and maybe this episode spans uh, two episodes because it's a lot to talk about. Yeah. Let's start with why the French people start a revolution and start to, to turn against their government in an attempt to, to create a new government let, let's start there at, at the very genesis of all of this. I think that's probably the best place for us to begin. I mean, like, so you look at it, and it, this thing dates back for hundreds of years of feudalism, where peasants were essentially living on farms, and they had lords and vassals and stuff like that, taking care of them with armies and yada yada. And, like, there, there was still, there was, and so there was a lot of class resentment against, like, from the poor people to the nobility to the the kings themselves who were thought to be placed on the throne by God, known as divine right. And so you fast forward to this the French during the 1770s and 80s, and they are still trying to get rid of this remaining parts of the old regime or something known as feudalism. So they're just there's still class resentment. So you have three classes. You have the first estate, which is like the clergy, people that are from the church, from the Catholic Church. You have the second estate. You have the nobility, which are people that are really wealthy, people that are bureaucrats, and then you have third yeah, estate, and, and, which are normal people like us. 
Yeah, and for the second estate, for the the nobility, a lot of that it, it wasn't. It's not like America today, where you're the upper class because you have money, and you can start in the lower class and end up in the upper class. The nobility was also um, uh, hereditary. Like it, it's it's family names that have gone back for generations. Yeah. It's like it's something that you are definitely born into. There were people in the third estate in the in quote unquote the peasants that were fairly wealthy and would be considered in like any other society to probably be probably be upper class but in the french society the nobility was um genetic in a lot of senses yeah and that's like the french revolution it really just started on this idea of the peasants being tired of like we call them peasants but it's like the third estate just like random commoners like you and me that we can go and become doctors but we're not going to be ever be rich like i can go be like i'm gonna go back to school eventually and get my phd but that doesn't mean i'm ever gonna make it out of you know it doesn't mean i'm ever gonna be like really rich or wealthy or anything and that's what a lot of these third estate people can do as well and so they were just really tired of this old regime and then all of a sudden like in if you remember correctly uh, the French the French Revolution happened after the American Revolution, and the French they uh, they had some issues like they uh, they they had modern well, less modern but they had better advancements in medicine and less people were now dying because diseases weren't going around and so now you have way more people uh, the mortality rate is is lower. So, like, people are living into their 50s and 60s. So now you have way more people um, to feed, way more people to serve. And then all of a sudden, there's a massive economic crisis along with a food shortage. And the French just tried to help out the Americans in the American Revolution. And they spent thousands of dollars. And now they're broke. So that's where they got to a lot of issues. Definitely. And I think it's also important to note at this time the the separation of classes the clergy the nobility and the third estate the the commoners um that lies at the heart of a lot of this but the the percentage breakup of that is pretty significant uh the the clergy or no, no sorry not the clergy the third estate the commoners made up about 90 percent of all of the people in france almost everybody was considered a commoner uh, clergy made up like 3% of the entire population, and then the nobility made up about 7%. So a vast, vast majority of people would be considered commoners back then. Yeah, like and so they, they all fall. Like it, it's, it's Society is divided into thirds, but it's not equitable amongst those thirds. It's uh, And, and that... that percentage breakdown is pretty significant because as France continued to move forward, votes would take place where each class, the nobility, the clergy, the third estate, all got an equal say. And so it didn't make much sense that 3% of the population got one-third percent of the vote or that 90% of the population got one-third percent of the vote. Um, it's just equitably, it, it's not fair at all. Yeah. And like, you know, the other two classes, they didn't pay taxes and the burden of everything was placed in the lower class. So, I mean, there's an economic crisis in France because they keep on fighting wars, um, including the American revolution, in which they helped the Americans beat the British. 
And, you know, when you fight war, that means that it's very expensive and there's taxes. Well, there's more taxes. So who's going to pay the taxes in France? Well, not the wealthy or the clergy. And then, you know, the the poor French people, they saw literally what they just helped the Americans do as far as fighting off the English and not having to pay their taxes, which is really funny. Um, and they're like, hey, 10 years ago, like, the, the Americans were tired of paying their taxes from the British and along, as well as they thought the government was being abusive. So we should also not pay these ridiculous taxes because everybody else should pay taxes. And then there was a food shortage and everything kind of went to hell from there. It was pretty awful. Yeah, and when you talk about the taxes and, and how much money they have to pay for all these wars, yeah, the, the idea is the commoners will pay all that tax. And for the commoners, number one, it, it's not fair. If the commoners vote against paying the tax and that it should be a universal tax for everybody, well, they only have one third of the vote. So the, the two higher classes are going to vote to say, no, we don't want to pay taxes. And just the the, the sheer math of it is, it has to just be incredibly frustrating for them. If you tax poor people 10%, um, say they make uh, $100 a week, you tax them 10%, that means they're paying $10 of their $100, where when someone in the nobility makes $1,000 a week and you tax them 10%, that's $100. So you would make way much, like way more money taxing the nobility than you would the masses of the commoners but the nobility weren't willing to pay taxes, so they always voted against it. So the people that don't have the money are the ones that are getting more in their, more of their money taxed and taken away from them uh, going to the government, going to these wars. And so the, the inequity just keeps growing wider and wider and wider. Yeah, it's just like those people that, uh, I mean, like, <clears throat> and we can talk about, like, this, this food shortage, because that was a big deal, um, because... Food, because of the taxes, and there is less food in higher demand. So when there's a less of something in a very high demand, the prices go up, right? And so now all of a sudden, who's able to buy that food in bulk? Exactly, it's, it's the rich. Right. It's the, the rich people. The rich people, because so the now, poor people don't have much money, and their money is going to taxes. And now the poor people are super angry at the rich people because, A, they're hoarding all the food they believe. They also think the government is hoarding the food. And so it causes them to go, like, in the countryside and, like, burn some houses down and be really upset. And it's, like, it makes me think of all the people that went out early and... Uh, Bought toilet paper? They they just stocked up on toilet paper and they stocked was, up on hand sanitizer they stocked up on like Clorox wipes and now like they're making videos and TikToks of their cats and dogs jumping over these mountains of toilet paper that they haven't even used yet or the Clorox wipes they haven't even used yet and everybody's like you suck like I mean uh, by the way this is a PSA don't inject any of that stuff into your body uh, it's, uh, yeah don't don't shoot up any Lysol please um, disinfectant yeah but not a good light, plan. Light works though. But uh, anyways, yeah, don't put any light bulbs up your butt. Not a good plan. No glow <laughs> sticks, it's, please. It's just it's it's pretty crazy how all this. It originally started off with this power of these three estates, and then all of a sudden, people like you suggested, like you know, in the third estate, not just commoners, but 
really, really intelligent people and really, um, I don't know, like big people and that were highly thought of, they started to be called enlightened despots. And these are people that started to question authority and started to question the legitimacy of a lot of things. And so the king of France for so many years, they were thought to be ruling by divine right, which means, of course, they got their ruling from God. So if you went against the laws of France and the laws of the king, you were by, you know, by connection going against what God was saying as well. And now through these enlightened despots, they said, well, let's look at this philosophically. And like, do you have the right to rule? And who gives you the right to rule? How do you know God's real, etc.? And then they, they, this is all from the enlightenment. And now the people of France, they no longer see King Louis, and this is King Louis the Sixteenth, because his grandfather, King Louis the Fourteenth, was actually really cool. But King Louis the Sixteenth, they no longer saw him as put in place by God, but now as some sort of king that was also kind of a, a tyrannical. So it's pretty interesting how we got ourselves into this mess and the there's going to be a meeting called because everybody's really unhappy with their position most notably 97 percent of the nation which are just commoners like you and me are pretty uh hacked off with how they were being treated yeah and to backtrack to what you just said um the idea that the king is put on the throne because god willed it so if you go against the king, if you uh, dissent, if you have a differing opinion, you are not just going against the government. You are going against the faith and you are going against God. And the Catholic institutions massive at this point. Exactly. Right? This this is a, a form of control because it's one thing to go against a king. It's another thing when majority of these people are Catholic. They are very... Um, religious, they're they're very faithful for the idea that, hey, if I disagree with the king, if I'm outspoken against the king, uh, this is essentially me bad-mouthing God himself. Uh, that is a way to keep people from questioning your authority, from questioning your style of leadership, from questioning your rule. So for a long time, people just had to fall in line because, hey, the king might be acting like a jerk, but if I respond to that, I am not only disrespecting the king, I'm disrespecting God, and that's a sin, and that will prevent me from getting to heaven. And so I have to fall in line. And that's, that is massive. That is a massive tool that people like, like despots, like kings, are able to use to, to force their subjects to kind of fall in line with yeah. them. And so like you said, eventually, as... Uh, literacy rates start to rise as intelligence starts to grow people begin to question these things and so that leads us was actually a massive tool yeah so that that (laughs) leads us up to um like you said this meeting that's going to take place and this meeting takes place in the middle of this kind of financial crisis in france uh definitely this food shortage because they're in the middle of a drought they just can't grow any food out in the countryside um and the, the decision has been made that taxes need to be raised. And yeah. if if because it's uh, best two out of three on a vote, guess who's going to end up having to pay taxes? The guys that actually pay taxes because exactly. the people that don't pay taxes don't want to pay taxes. And all this came to a head because uh, the king had a he had a had financial advisor, and his name was Jacques Necker. And Jacques said, hey, I got a good idea. I'm going to 
look out and flesh out all the finances of France and really pave a way to show like the debts and also pave a way to, to get things back on track for France because you were spending too much money on wars but also too much money on building fancy palaces and yada yada. And he published his book and he, or he published his findings of France's finances and that made the commoners pretty angry too. Yeah, and, and Robin, I think it's him. I think it's kind of important that we contextualize a little bit of this um, because, like, talking about this, I feel like a lot of times students have a hard time kind of just grasping, like, the relevance um, to, to kind of contextualize it to today. Like, we all pay taxes, right? Even the rich people pay taxes. Some of them avoid taxes by, like, putting their money in overseas banks and stuff. Like Wesley uh, Snipes. But most of us pay taxes, Right, so all the money that the government spends on, uh, on food stamps, on the military, on salaries for people in Congress, infrastructure uh, and building roads for your cities and states, exactly, all that stuff comes from money that we have paid to the government. So, whenever you look at uh, very recent history, a couple of weeks ago, um, the U.S. fires this Navy captain on that boat. Uh, it was that really big deal. Yep. They sent a guy out to like fire this dude in person and to fly him out there, uh, the, the, the guy that's firing the captain, to fly him out there and all of his like security and everything. They spent like over $200,000 to fly this guy out. So that's $200,000 of our money, of taxpayer money, that like that's needless. Like what – Call the dude up on the cell phone and say, hey, you're fired. Instead of spending $200,000 to fly somebody out to, f- to fire them in person. I don't know who's flying for $200,000. Like, yeah, that's, that's insane. That, that's more than first class. It's like private. Yeah, private, exactly. Private and and so like for a lot of people, that pisses you off. Like, Why are we wasting that money that I gave you? And so the same thing is happening in France. Like... They are taxing these poor people a lot of money, and then the government's using that, those taxes to build massive kind of unneeded structures. They're, they're built, like you said, they're building massive palaces. They're, they're funding all these wars that the, the commoners saying, hey, how about you stop that stuff and lower the taxes a little bit? Because it doesn't, like, it's not hurting the government. It's not hurting the upper class people you're building all this stuff on the backs of us. You're taking our money and then spending it on needless things. Yup. I mean, that would make anybody mad. Makes me mad. Makes me mad too. And I don't even, I'm not even French. Yeah. These French people, man. So all of this comes to a head and the leaders call what is known as an estates general. Now, an estates general is essentially a large meeting uh, filled with representatives of the monarchy and then the three social classes, the three estates, the clergy, the nobles, and the commoners. So all three estates are represented there as well as the monarchy, and they come to discuss issues of state. They come to discuss wars, famine, taxes, uh, everything under the sun, and then decisions are made by a vote and basically three people have a vote the the clergy which is about three percent of the population has a vote the nobility which is another small percentage of the population has a vote 
And then the commoners, who make up 90% of everybody in France, get one vote. Sounds like not fair. Yeah. If it was fair, then the commoners would get nine votes because they make up about 90%. The clergy would get like 0.3 votes and the nobility would get like 0.6 or 0.7 votes. Yeah. Right? Or instead, you know, it's not representative. Yeah. That's the the uh, big thing here. It's not representative. So anything that's going to get voted on, the commoners are going to lose because the, the clergy and the nobility, the two wealthy upper class estates in France are going to override them on everything. The, cler- the commoners could say, hey, we think everybody should be taxed. Okay, let's put it up for a vote. Are the nobility going to vote to tax themselves? Hell no. Are- yeah. And you got to look at like the commoners are like, this makes no sense. We're 97% of the nation. We should probably be voting by a head. But because the clergy nobility want to keep the old ways so they can keep the power, uh, they're not going to let that happen. Yep. And so this meeting, this is States General, this this big meeting with everybody takes place in the city of Versailles, which is about 20 miles west of Paris. It's like a suburb. Think of if Paris is Oklahoma City, then Versailles is like Norman. Right? It's it's a it's a smaller suburb uh and the king has a massive palace out in Versailles called the Palace of Versailles, uh very original. That is uh it's still there today you can still go visit it. it's really pretty uh, but the palace of versailles and the palace of versailles is also um where the treaty of versailles that ends world war one is also signed so it's a site of uh, very historical significance but so this meeting takes place out in versailles which is i said it's like norman maybe it's more like edmund because versailles is very like super fancy. lavish yeah, yeah like so it's, it, it like even the commoners walking into this palace are like this is where our tax dollars are going like not feeding the poor but building these massive palaces yep and so the topic of taxes does get raised and a vote takes place to try to lower taxes and try to tax everybody and not just the commoners and as you would guess what would happen in that vote the commoners get overridden yeah, and they still have some issues about it. And this, and this is the first time like an estates general had been held in like over two hundred years, I think. So it, these things don't happen very often. Yeah. And so the commoners are hoping things can go their way. They show up, things do not go their way. Um, and then, really, in I don't even know how to describe this besides just crappy. The next day, they come back for more meetings. And the representatives of the commoners are basically told, hey, we don't even need you here because the nobility and the clergy are going to vote together on everything. So you're always going to get overridden and your vote's never really going to count because we're just going to override you every time you try to vote. So we don't even really need you here to hear your voice. Yeah, there are because guards nothing at the doors you... and they're like, yeah, yeah don't, don't bother. Yeah, basically... of the population, your voice doesn't really matter. What you want is not going to happen because the rich and the important people are going to control this country and make the decisions. You can go home now. Sounds pretty crappy. Like, 
it's hard to to come up with a a modern day comparison for that. Yeah, you know what really is doesn't happen. Doesn't really happen. Yeah, and that that really just that really really upsets the commoners. Uh, yeah, like it I would. Mean, the commoners are already upset. This is this is the the final nail in the coffin, though. I mean, this this is. I I really wish I had a way to contextualize this for the people listening to this podcast to understand like a modern day scenario of how crappy this is. But we're talking almost every single person in the country is basically told your thoughts and opinions don't matter. The rich people are going to take care of everything and we're going to do what's best for us. Screw you. Go away. It's true. And so in that position, I mean, what are your options? If you're a commoner, if you're Kill one of the everybody. representatives, <laughs> yeah, king. and that's what's eventually going to happen. But so, Morabian, we kind of explain what the commoners decide to do when they're told to leave Versailles that we don't need you anymore. Say what? Will you kind of explain the next step here on what the commoners do when they're told they can just leave, that they, they're not needed anymore? Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so, like, like they said, like you said, they go to the meeting and they're totally, just completely, they're told to leave. Like the king literally put guards at the doors. Like, yes, don't, don't worry about it. And so they go to a nearby, they call it a tennis court. Um, actually, uh, if you ever like, if you are, in, are interested in new and interesting sports, since there are no sports being played in the United States, there's a sport called handball, which it combines like basketball with soccer and kind of football ish it's pretty cool actually and um so it's actually a handball court but they call it the tennis court and all the like really esteemed intelligent philosophical people they meet at the handball court and they get really angry and they start getting like getting into a frenzy of like how much they hate the king and how much this is bs and they say you know what we're gonna make a constitution and we're not leaving here until a new constitution is drafted because a constitution for the French would mean there's severe limits on the king's power and what the king can do and there's a lot more rights for the French commoners in general and that's what's really going to start off everything. Yeah, and and so I don't know, Marvin, to me it, it's always been that that idea has been pretty bold because the commoners were just told your opinion doesn't matter. The government is not going to take anything you say into account. You need to leave. And so the commoner's decision is, we're going to create a document that gives us power. And they're really banking on here just their numbers. Because, hey, your opinion doesn't matter. Okay, here's a paper that I wrote that says our opinion should matter. The king would just say, oh, that's a cute piece of paper. Get out of here and go home. The only reason this works is because the commoners, number one, they're united. And number two, just the sheer amount of numbers. The king can't say, oh, that's a cute piece of paper, rip it up and send them home. If, I mean, commoners are the ones working the farms, providing food to all of France. Even though the rich people own the land, it's the commoners who are working the land. The commoners are the ones like actually constructing these palaces, uh, building roads, um, taking care of sewage. The, the commoners are the ones that really control 
society. It, it's kind of like an example for that today. You know, only essential businesses have been able to be open. And we're starting to see now that people that make minimum wage that are people that are stocking shelves at the grocery store um, are people that are uh, that are doing like street repairs. Those people are the people that kind of keep society moving forward. And without them, we'd be screwed. But mm-hmm. they're also very common people that aren't making a lot of money. And so the French government kind of has to deal with the idea that, hey, we can try to bully these people, but when they realize that they control everything, they kind of have all the power in their hands. And yeah. the, the commoners are really banking on that when they decide to write a constitution. There's no other logical explanation for them to do that besides them just finally realizing hey, the government says they have the power, but in all honesty, we run society. If we all just stopped, France would crumble. Yep, that's what happens when 97% of the nation uh, hates you. Yep. So, well, Moravian, we've been talking for over 40 minutes, and although we did get sidetracked, uh, 40 minutes just got us basically to the point of why France is going to have a revolution. So I think next week we will continue with the revolution itself. Does that sound fair? Yeah, sounds fair. Because if not, if not, you and I are going to sit here for like three hours talking about the French revolution. It's true. So we will continue next week talking about how the revolution kind of unfolds and what starts to happen. Uh, But hopefully our listeners got something out of this as far as why the French commoners are so upset and how it finally leads to action in the first place. For shizzle. So, uh, all right. Well, Marabian, anything that you want to say before I play outro music and let these kids get off the podcast? No, just hanging out. All right. Well, um, watch yeah, the MG documentary have... tonight. Oh, it's going to be so good. So good. I'm excited. That's the best part of quarantine right now is the last dance documentary. So, all right. Well, Everyone who's listening, have a great week. Enjoy the nice weather outside. We're finally getting spring weather. Um, so get outside. Enjoy some sun. Don't stay cooped up playing Call of Duty and uh, and watching Netflix. Get outside and enjoy some sun a little bit. Uh, stay safe, please. Keep washing your hands, uh, covering your face. We don't want you guys to get sick. We want you to be healthy. Uh, contrary to what other people might tell you, do not consume any sort of disinfectant. That's not a good plan. Don't eat Lysol wipes. And we'll talk to you next week with more French Revolution. See you guys.